Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! Today, we're week two in this series called We Smell Like Sheep because I love this metaphor for the church. I love how Jesus gives us this model. One, because he says he is the good shepherd. I, I mean... I just, I love how that, the care that comes with that, the correction, it's like, I love that part of it. But I also really appreciate the other side of it, that we can be a lot like sheep, right? So we should smell like each other. We should hang out together and be with one another. But unfortunately, sometimes we're going to bite each other. Sometimes we're going to kick each other when we get upset. We're going to do things we shouldn't. Uh, we are going to do those things. Sometimes we're going to do dumb things that get us hurt or get us lost, right? So again, I think the analogy there is good. Now, last week, we began to try to define what church is. We started to look at that in the context of what is all of this supposed to be like? Church leadership, church involvement, church membership. So there's a lot of different metaphors that go with that in the Bible. Some of the major ones that we see are things like uh, the flock, or it could be family, it could be marriage, it could be a building. Now, the problem with marriage and family is that some of us have messed up families and have been in messed up marriages. So they're like, if that's what church is supposed to be like, peace, right? Like, I don't want anything to do with that. But what, I'm, what the Bible is talking about when it defines church in those ways is it's a multifaceted type of a thing, the church is, and it should be as God intended it. So the, the beautiful relationship in a marriage, right, is to reflect Jesus in his church. A family is supposed to be sacrificial and loving, and there's a lot of stuff in Scripture that shows us how we're supposed to love one another in a family context. How should we love our kids? Dad, don't exacerbate your son with how you are with them, right? And kids, respect and love your parents. And like, there's supposed to be this picture of unity within a family. And so, I say that just to point out that the pictures that we have, the metaphors we have, for some of us can throw us off a little bit because of our own experiences. I also talked last week when we defined church that there's a couple things to think about of many issues, but I'm listed two. The first, that we don't, uh, we don't like institutions nowadays because they failed us and or we feel like they failed us. For instance, uh, the you know, medical world, the you know, doctors or hospitals or whatever, some people feel like our government, marriage, uh, the institution of marriage, church, right, the police, military. All I mean, people can you name one and, and somebody doesn't like it and thinks it's failed them. So because we live in that kind of environment, it affects you as well. Because you look at these failed institutions or perceived failed institutions, and that bleeds a little bit over to church. I wonder if church is a failed institution. I wonder, can we trust the leaders in this church? Because you can't trust any other leaders, it doesn't seem like. So that bleeds into all of our thinking, and I don't think unfairly so. Another thing that we have to consider when we define church and what it means to be a part of one, and an issue that affects us all, is hyper-individualism. I want it my way. I want Burger King, not the King of Kings, right? Like, even as a Christian, I know that I still can be very selfish. As a pastor, I can be very selfish, and I can just want things my way, and I don't really care how it affects you. Now, I've got some maturity enough now where I can kind of stop that, but 
Not always. Things can still slip out of my mouth. I can still have a certain attitude. Because I carry a little bit of that, I want it my way, and I don't really care what you think. Again, that affects us all differently and at different levels. But it's something we all bring to the table when we try to talk about something as complex as church. And so it's just something to be aware of. So we looked at that, and we also looked at, as we mentioned this morning, what does it mean to be a church member? I think if we had a better, healthier understanding of what it means to be a church member, that churches all across America especially would look way healthier than they do. So how we define that, just what happened in second service when we welcomed uh, Megan, Renee Megan, into membership this morning, is we said essentially, the next slide, is that she is coming before us as a church, and I'm coming you before you as a pastor, and I'm saying, we take responsibility for you, Megan, and that's a big deal. Like, we take spiritual responsibility for you. We take responsibility for how we act as a group of Christians here and how we treat you. And, though, the difficult part, how we hold you accountable. That's hard to do because nobody likes to be told they're wrong, right? We just don't. Our immediate response is, who are you? Right? But then that second part, and this is what we need to think of individually, myself, you, that we are saying when we welcome somebody into membership, that they understand that they're taking responsibility for this local church as well. So they're accountable to it, they're accountable for it, they're accountable for how they act, how they love, how they seek out to care for other people. It's not just, like I said last week, you're not just getting an oil change here, right? This is not a service station where you come in, right, and just get what you need and then peace out. This is somewhere where you take accountability for other people when you're a member. And that's a way different way of viewing church than I think most people do, and and how I did for a long time. I viewed church kind of as a a place to go get the spiritual oil changed and then to serve every now and then, but mostly it was just for me, what God was doing in me. So different dynamics here at work. And so this week, uh, as a part of that, and all of this stuff, how a church is, what it's supposed to be, uh, something I was thinking about this week as I walked in, uh, just this morning. So I get in really early. I'm usually here about 4.30 or so, so it's always dark. And so when I walk in, I get to always look up, and I get to think about the stars and the sky and who did all that. Kyle didn't do that, so this is not about Kyle. That's just my personal accountability check for my ego to leave out in the parking lot, right? And then this morning, I got to see the moon, and it was there was a lot of cloud cover. There was a couple stars, but that moon, man, that moon was doing what it's supposed to do, and it was crushing it this morning. I mean, it was so bright, right? And I'm just thinking, like, isn't that like the church? What if the church just did what it was supposed to do and just was like reflecting the sun all the time, just like our moon does, right? Because I'm looking up and I'm like, man, look at that thing reflecting. It's so bright. What if people look at the church, this church, in this community, and said, man, look at that church. They're just reflecting the sun. They're just doing what they were made to do. It's cool, right? That'd be cool. I would love it. All right, but this week, in all that context, the reflection of the church, what are we supposed to be like? I want to introduce you to this word right here, deacon. Now, this could be like, I don't even know what that means. That I don't have any idea, but the sheep is cool and the scenery is nice. That's New Zealand, by the way. Um, and it could be I grew up maybe Catholic or liturgical, so deacon is like this hierarchical thing that like they don't smell like sheep at all. They've been removed from the sheep, and they're like up there, out there somewhere. Or it could be somebody that hurt you. It could be a Sunday school teacher. It could be anywhere and everywhere in between. And so knowing that, I just want to kind of walk through that. And again, this is like, all right, what does this matter? This just seems like kind of lame. But not understanding this stuff, I think, is why people get so hurt, why pastors get so burned out, why people feel like they don't get cared for in a local church. 
because we don't understand what church is actually supposed to be and what these different pieces of the church are supposed to be. So this is me legit putting all this stuff forward to say, this is what this looks like as your pastor. This is my expectation of you. But I'm also saying by teaching this, this is the standard that I expect you to hold me and our leaders accountable to. A lot of churches don't know what they're really supposed to hold their leadership accountable to. And they get hurt, and then they leave. But this is me saying, I want to have enough humility to put it all out there and say, this is what our leaders are going to be held accountable to, and we expect you to hold us accountable to it. All right? That's just me, right? And then if you have a real problem, I'll just say, go find Pastor Tim. Okay? Okay. So today, we're going to look at what a deacon does next week, uh, who a deacon is. So let's start in the New Testament. What is the bar? Okay, this is, again, this is specifically what I am, one of the things that I want to make sure I'm accountable to, and all of our leaders, and we go through all of our leadership training. Brittany is our connections coordinator here, which essentially is our team builder. She and I have sat down and spent hours thinking through how are we going to train all of our leaders no matter what they do, right? How can we make that uniform? And this is one of the things that more and more and more we want to make a part of that. So the first shall be last model of Christian leadership, but more so than that, it's Christian influence, right? So here's what Jesus Christ himself says. In the context of a story <laughs> where his disciples are like, tell us who's the best. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And sometimes, man, I, I'm glad I wasn't a disciple because, man, Jesus would have always been yelling at me. He would have always been like, Kyle, you are so dumb. You know, like, do you not get it yet? Like, and he said that to his disciples. I've been with you all this time. You still don't understand. Because I would have been like, no, I don't. I guess not. Tell me another parable that I don't understand. Right? Um, and so here's Jesus making it real clear for his guys, okay, just so they don't miss it. Matthew chapter 20. Same as today. 2,000 years, not much has changed. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, or non-Jews, lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. Right? This is something you can see, Jesus says. And it's affecting the way that you think Jesus is saying. Next verse. It must not be like that among you, disciples. So first and foremost, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to know that he's talking to you. Don't be like, oh man, yeah, church leaders, you better, you better. No, no, no. He's talking to disciples here. So it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. So Jesus is really laying it down here. If you want to be great, you need to be last. And that's a totally awkward thing to live out and totally awkward thing to say. But he's like, but I'm going to embody this for you. Because he goes on and he says, who wants to be first among you must be your slave. So the wording is getting stronger here. And well, why? Verse 28, he says, just as I, Jesus, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So my expectation of you disciples, Jesus says, is that you are, like Philippians 2 says, you're going to consider others better than yourself. Why? Because 2.5 of Philippians, your attitude should be like that of Jesus Christ. If you're going to represent the Savior and the King, you better look a lot like Him, is what He's saying. And I'm setting the standard for you, Christianity. We are servants. We are people that literally will put others in a sacrificial way ahead of ourselves. And that's such a hard thing to do. But this right here is the bar. And this is not just for me. And let me give you an example why. So, several years ago, about 10 years ago, uh, the CEO of Home Depot was going through this transition in his own leadership. And he came back into taking over Home Depot, which has around 300,000 employees. And he began to think about his faith. 
And he began to think about this passage right here because Andy Stanley was preaching a sermon and he said, Christian leaders, no matter where we are, should always think about ourselves in this inverted pyramid. So he began to think, wow, that's really strange. I wonder if I could do that now that I'm back into Home Depot where the toxic culture here has just run rampant and all the executives have all these privileges that nobody else gets to have. And he's like, that can't be good. Look what it's doing to our employees. So he applied this model right here to 300,000 people all over the globe, and it totally changed the culture of Home Depot. Totally changed. This is not pie in the sky, Jesus just like, oh, he didn't really live in the real world. No. This dude applied this, and you can go and read his story. It's really, really great. And so this right here, and this is what it looks like. Next slide. So this is the inverted pyramid. I totally stole this from Jesus. So um, the vision, mission, and values that we have here are built this way with our leadership at the bottom. And I, as your lead pastor, need to be the very, very, very bottom of this the very best, very lead servant, as imperfect as I am, but I always need to be making sure that I'm setting this Matthew 20 model with everything that I do. And it's hard, because I don't want to do that all the time, right? I just don't. I'm not a perfect person. I'm just a guy named Kyle from Ohio, right? But this is what Jesus gave us, and this is what he expects of us, all of us, but especially me and especially those that lead here. So this is what you should be holding us accountable to. Okay? Now, the roles that we see then, uh, that's New Testament leadership, and the roles we see more or less in the New Testament are overseer slash elder, which will define the difference between those two uh, in the weeks ahead, and then deacon, which we're going to hit today. So, roughly, what we have in the Bible, and again, this is not just, ah, who cares about this stuff? This is, if we do this right, church is going to be awesome. Church is going to be the best night of the week at Connect Group or Bible study. Church is going to be the best night or best day of the week on Sunday because of what God is going to do through His people. Because now we're all in it together. Like we all say, man, I'm taking ownership of this body because I'm a part of it, right? So this is what it looks like, more or less. So here's how it plays out. Elders lead ministry. The deacons then facilitate ministry. So they're not just doers, but they're, they're builders of ministries and of people. And then the congregation then gets to do the ministry. So what happens when we don't do this in a church? You have things like this said. I just don't feel seen. I just don't feel like anybody cares. When I was in the hospital, nobody called me. People fall through the cracks because we're not loving the body as we're meant to do. If everybody is all in on this stuff, the elders or uh, in this case, we'll say like maybe the pastors and then the elder team aren't the only ones responsible for doing that stuff. But that's what happens in a lot of churches because we don't really understand what a church is supposed to look like. And so it's only the pastor or maybe it's like some of the other leaders and they're responsible for doing all the pastoral work. When really God is like, no, 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 no. Like, this is about like, building up the body so that we know how to care for each other. Because being a Christian is tough. And it's radically different from anything else in the world. And so if we can do this, then people start to find Jesus. Then people start to be set free from addiction and hurt and misery of their past and all kinds of crazy stuff that I've seen and been fortunate enough to see. be seen when this like, stuff like, right here gets done. Okay? So this model right here is what we're heading to. So I said last week, the reason I'm doing this series is one, to give us a better understanding of church, but also to help you understand why are we going through our constitution and our bylaws right now? Like, why are we trying to what clarify what we do here as far as a church and then how we are structured and how we're led and how we get people plugged into ministry. Why are we doing that? Well, because I want to make sure that what we're doing aligns with Scripture. And I want to make sure that some of the things that are in our Constitution and bylaws get fleshed out a little bit more so that we can actually know 
how to do some of these things. So our leaders have spent hours reading all kinds of stuff, thinking through these things, going through the Constitution, draft after draft, really trying to make it like, how do we, how do we onboard people into the mission of Jesus? How do we actually do that, right? So right now, the, our leadership team right now, go to the next slide, these handsome guys right here. Right? So you got Alan over there on the left. you got Mo, who's uh, just awesome servant. All of them are awesome servants. Tim, the handsome fellow in the middle, that's why they're all wearing those shirts right there, because that's all Tim owns is shirts like that. And then we have John, who didn't get the message, nor would he have worn one, but he just came from a basketball game or something. I don't know. But, so that was our team at one of our meetings. Now, what's going to happen uh, is, is going to be a change. One of the changes is that in our Constitution, we're technically pastor-elder-led, right? And so after this series, hopefully all this stuff will make more sense, uh, and you'll see why it matters. But... Right now, though, our deacon board, and our, in our constitution, we have deacons and deaconesses, uh, but we're not doing it right now. Right now, our deacon board operates like an elder board. And again, this will make more sense by the end of my sermon, but if our deacons are acting like elders, who's acting like deacons? And that's a problem in a lot of churches, right? It's a problem in a lot. Every church almost I've ever been to, pastor, deacon board led. Right, and but like I think though is a cool step to take into, and I remember asking Dean and Terry about this uh, like a long time ago, and they're like, yeah, we need to start making some of these changes, and I thought, hey, in my first year, I might as well go through the Constitution. That'd be a good first year project, you know. But like, how are we doing ministry? And this was a natural part of that, and so we're going to be taking this deacon board and shifting them to an elder board, and then this team here will then appoint deacons to be able to facilitate ministry and make sure that in this body gets cared for like nowhere else in this area, that this is a unique place where the Spirit of God moves through His people, and that we're training people how to do that, like actually how to be Christian. So there's just been so many other things that led to this, and it was a project that was like on the back burner for so long, and God just, the, the timing was all right of some of the other things that we were doing. And so now this team, again, we're making this shift, and this will hopefully all make more sense as we go, and you'll see why it matters. So the deacon role has gone through changes through church history. Ephesians, or I mean, I'm sorry, Acts is the beginning of Christianity. It's recorded in there the first time that people are actually called Christians. And then you see the church grow and change throughout the New Testament. As it grows and changes, like any other organization, they need to change how they're leading it. Because if you don't, as you're going to see a little bit later, people stop being cared for. People start being hurt by that. And it happened in the New Testament. They had to figure that out. And so the role of the deacon and other and elders and all those stuff we'll talk about, that begins to develop. And so by the time Paul would write in Philippians chapter 1, which is later in church history, next slide, you're going to have this. Paul and Timothy, he's writing this letter with Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. One, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, the city, right? But also, including the overseers slash deacons, and again, we'll talk about that difference later, and deacons, which we're going to talk about today. And then tomorrow, or uh, next Sunday, we'll also be in 1 Timothy 3, which really lays out some differences between those two roles. But let me just briefly, what is a deacon? Let's, let's look at that. The reason this is important, I'm going to get nerdy with you. A third of your Bible was written originally in Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek, the Old Testament, uh, a little bit of Aramaic, mostly Hebrew. And so you have these languages that matter because their languages are way cooler than English is, right? They're much richer and they carry different meanings. So let's look at what a deacon is. So if you're a deacon in this church, what does that mean? So diakonos, or deacon, generally is translated about 30 times, either minister or servant. So when you hear deacon, if you had no idea before today what that means, minister or servant around 30 times, and next, other ways, diakoneo, to minister, or diakonia, just ministry, around 70 times. 
So a hundred times when it's used in the New Testament, you've got either servant, you've got doing ministry, ministry, that's what a, a deacon is. A deacon is not like just some ruling authority. It's like a lead, literally, a lead servant. That's an important, a wildly important role in church. So you have that at play, and that's exactly what Jesus said in what we read earlier in Matthew 20. So if we go to Matthew 20, this is the last verse of that passage we read earlier. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, or diakoneo, but to serve, diakoneo, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he's telling his disciples they need to be servants because just as the Son of Man did not come to be deaconed, but to deacon, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the model. So really, as a blanket statement, all of us should consider ourselves deacons. All of us should consider ourselves servants in a general sense. Because that's, again, that's the bar that Jesus set for us. And it's hard to do because the world we live in is much like the world that Plato lived in. So the Greeks had a huge influence on the writers of the New Testament. The Romans were in charge, but Greek culture still loomed very, very large. And so you have, in this next slide, Plato says this, hundreds of years before Jesus. How can man be happy when he has to serve someone? That hasn't gone away. That mentality has not gone away. Have you ever been to a, an establishment, like a restaurant or a service provider of some sort, and you can tell that person is not happy that they have to serve you, and that there's almost anything in the world they would rather do than serve you? Right? Bernie went to a restaurant the other day, and it was like everything that she did, it was like a subway you know, place, and everything she asked, it was just like, it got like an annoyed sigh with it. And it was like, is there something else that you should be doing other than this right here, this sandwich that I'm going to eat soon? And it was just like... He was just so annoyed. And then Brittany at the end was like, oh, can you cut that in half? Yeah. <laughs> God, no, man. That was such an asshole. And it's funny, but it was like he didn't want to serve her, man. He was like, that was the last thing in the world he wanted to do. But again, this is something that affects all of us. It's in there in all of us, right? I don't want to get off the, off the couch, right? There's no other time in a child's life that they're more concerned about hydration than right when you kiss them goodnight and try to leave their room. Because now all of a sudden it's like, oh, can you get me a bottle of water? Can you, I need some ice. I need hydration. It's so important. And I don't want to serve them at that point in their life. I'm just like, no, get up and get it yourself, which I selfishly do. Do it all the time. Oh, can you give me some water real quick? I'm like, yeah, it's in the fridge. I'll be on the couch. Why? I don't want to serve them. Uh, maybe it's right or wrong. I don't know. But, I, yeah, Brittany's nicer. So, anyway. Right? But it's in all of us. All right, so back to what deacons do. So some concrete things deacons do to kind of close this up on this. They're servants, but they can teach as well. Because but the difference is they don't teach, and I'll flesh this out in the weeks ahead. They don't teach and rule with the authority of the whole church. That's different. Like what I do on a Sunday, man, that's a heavy weight. I think about constantly, and that's why I pray the prayer I do as I walk into this building. Because I realize I'm teaching authoritatively as an elder, technically, as a senior pastor in this church. Right? And a deacon's not called to that role. But they still do that because they're going to go to a hospital visit. They're going to go to somebody's house when they've lost a job or a child or a parent. Or they don't know how to pay the bills, right? And the deacon team is going to come alongside. All these different things that they're going to meet real time, they're going to bring the Word of God to bear in those situations, right? I mean, obviously they're going to do that, right? So there's a different way that's done, but man, it's so important because they're going to speak in this really difficult places. And then number two, they're going to be model servants who excel in being attentive and responsive to tangible needs of the church. This is a hallmark that literally deacons set the standard for. In church history, it was the deacon who really embodied this level of service. 
And it was like, it was these people that you look to to say, what does it look like to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ? The deacon made the model. The deacon set the standard in the early church history. And then they assist the elders, and this is important. They assist the elders. They guard the ministry of the Word. They organize service. They care for the needy. They preserve unity and mobilize ministry. Let me give you one example from our church why this is important. When we have people stepping up the way that they do, light the night for me was just something I went to. Like, I wasn't a part of all the planning and everything that went into it. Like, I weighed in every now and then just to make sure everybody knew I was in charge, right? But it was like, not really. Like, I didn't need to do that at all. It was just if Brittany had a question and if people had a question the night of, like, I just went around, ate hot dogs, and shake people's hands, right? Why? Because when the body's doing what it should be doing, all that other time, the prep work and the lead up, what was I doing? I was studying these things that I don't quite understand sometimes. I was able to read more, to take more time to be thoughtful about where you all are in your lives and how I can make sure what I'm saying up here one lines with Scripture, but also lands somewhere applicable in your life. So when our, when our people are doing what they should do, that allows me, just this is one example, that allows me to do what I'm supposed to do. Not that it's better than anybody else, but it's what I'm supposed to do, right? That's, that's what that looks like, and that's the beauty of this role. And then lastly, as a reminder, so elders lead what that looks like, deacons facilitate, and then the congregation gets to do that work. And then you feel like I'm doing something. I'm a part of something. If you were here last night, man, you got to do and be a part of something really cool, right? And it's like, that's awesome. That's what it's supposed to be like. Not, yeah, I guess if uh, the pastors start together, I'll show up and, you know, maybe I'll you know, run a room or something. No, like I owned that event because I was there and I got to be a part of it, right? I bled with that event, right? That's what we want. Not literally, but you know what I mean. Some people did, but... Uh, so, and then, <laughs> quickly, the progression of the, the office of deacon. Let's look at this. I want to look at the model, just to give you a story from Scripture, from Acts chapter 6. Not deacons, but the model for it. So, in verse 1 of chapter 6, early, early Christianity here, and notice this. This could have blown Christianity up, but instead it turns out to be the model for Christianity, and it allows Christianity literally to explode. This is, what we're going to read is literally the beginning of Christianity here. This is pretty awesome. So, in those days... It'll be up on the screen. As the disciples were increasing in numbers. So here's the church growing, and with it, the complexity. With it, problems. Here's one of them. There arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews. So you have Hellenistic Jews, Greek-speaking, Greek culture, Jewish Christians. Ethnic tension right here. It's happening. Against the Hellenistic Jews, which are the Jewish, Hebrew-speaking Christians. Major divide. Major divide about to go down. So their widows, the Hellenistic Jews, were not being taken care of. They were being overlooked at the daily distribution of food. There are these widows. They've moved back home, most likely. They're Greek-speaking, Greek culture, and they have nothing. So the Christian church is taking care of them, taking care of all these people, but the Greek-speaking ones are being overlooked, probably because of a language barrier. So what happens? What do they do? So the twelve, the original disciples, the apostles, they say, who do you think we are? We're the apostles. We've been with Jesus. Get out of here and fix your own problems. Oh, they didn't, didn't say that, did it? My bad. No, we didn't say that. They had the opportunity to be stubborn and to be selfish, but what did they do? Well, they summoned the whole company of disciples, and they said, look, we've got to figure this out. A lot of churches nowadays, they just split. We just leave churches, right? Because people don't do this. They just wound. They're like, who are you? How dare you? Do you know what I've been doing? How much I put into this? These guys don't do that. They just say, all right, well, let's figure this out together. So they call everybody together, and they say, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the Word of God to wait on tables. Preaching the Word of God, they're not saying, they're not subverting 
waiting on tables as if it doesn't matter. Both are really, really important, but the apostles have a unique role in human history. They're the ones that were with Jesus. They saw the crazy miracles. They heard the teaching. They're, they have to do what they have to do, and they need people to do this other job that is wildly important because that's what they're known for. we got to take care of these people. So in order for us to do our job, we need people that can do theirs, which is really, really important. Again, the role of a deacon is powerful. Right? Not deacons, but this role uh, is a precursor. So brothers and sisters, they say, select from among you seven men of one good reputation, two full of spirit, three wisdom. So it's an important role. Who are we going to point to this duty? Number four, or verse four, important. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. If they do that, we'll get to do what we're called to. Verse five, the proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, who would go on to be the first martyr of Christian Christianity, and Philip, who was an evangelist, baptizing people, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. All Greek names. So what did they do? If these Greek women are being overlooked, let's get Greek guys to like, help them out. Let's get, like, build a team of Greeks to go and help them. Right? So here's this ethnic tension that could have exploded and destroyed everything that God was doing. And they just, with humility, were like, okay, we've, we've been overlooking these people. Let's make sure we care for them. Let's make sure we care for them. That's a huge role within the church, not a subservient one. So what happened when they did this? What was the result? They laid their hands on them, the apostles do. They prayed over them. And then verse 7. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Christianity, rather than dying and imploding because of selfishness, now begins to explode. So much so that it's like, well, who are priests? What are they? They're Jewish priests. If they become obedient to the faith, they're going to get kicked out of the synagogue. They're going to be cut off from the only means of living that they've ever known. And they're going to be isolated from the only community that they've ever known. They sacrificed their whole lives because a group of people were willing to be servants. But they got to hear a message that changed everything and that echoed into their eternities. Because seven men were willing to put their pride aside and be like, all right, cool, I get to be part of the solution. And they just served people. The apostles put their pride aside and they figured out this problem through this important precursor to the deacon role. So as a summary to that, there was a division of labor that ensured the care for these Greek-speaking widows and the church's daily distribution of food and alms. Something amazing happened for them and the word of God spread and people came into the kingdom. So then as this role goes on, again, more practical things. What does a deacon do? What are we moving to? What are we shifting to? What are we trying to be intentional about? Some other things. Pastoral care is the first one. Now, I don't know about you, but this study changed my view on this. Because for most of my adult life, even in the being a pastor, I assumed that pastoral care was done by who? The pastor. It's in the Word, right? Don't try to skirt your duties, Pastor Kyle, and make us do this stuff. No. This is what deacons were known for. This is how they were identified because of the pastoral care that they gave to people. They went and they identified the needs, and then they found ways to meet the needs. What you just saw in Acts 6 was pastoral care for these people. And if the pastors are the only ones doing it, they burn out. That's why pastors only last about three years at a church in America. And youth pastors last about a year and a half in churches in America. Churches chew pastors up and spit them out. Right? Because I think, one, it's their own fault because they're not teaching this stuff. And they're not showing them how they can be a part of this awesome mission that Jesus has given us. 
a lot of us, right, we're so insecure as pastors, we do want to do it all, right? That's speaking from uh, personal experience there. My own insecurity drives me to burn myself out. And so I've learned over the years, that's not what Jesus has planned. Pastoral care should be done by all of us, particularly the deacons. Second, the poor and the sick, they get to receive their service, right? They get to receive help, not just physically, but again, instruction, encouragement. Number three, the homes of church members became familiar territory to a deacon, right? Because they got their, that visitation pattern was established in early church history by the deacon ministry. They identify the needs, they go and meet the needs. They took care of administration of funds, obviously, because they're caring for people. But the second one here, they end up setting the symbol of love, loving care for the church in general. So the role of deacon has been vitally important to what God has done in the last 2,000 years. I want us to understand how important this role is and what this, is, this can do for a church and a community because there, there's a team of people that are actively seeking to care for the body. When Jesus said in John 13, love each other as I have loved you. By this, if you love one another, people will know that you are my disciples. So caring for each other, especially through that deacon role, and then modeling that for everybody else, is going to allow everybody else to see, man, there's something really different about that body of believers. Gosh, I wonder if I should go check that out, because, man, I feel isolated, I feel alone, I feel hopeless. But, man, there's something different with those people. Something different with those people. Just second service, a girl came in tears, and she was like, I just, I need community. I need community so bad, and I knew I needed to be here. When people act like Jesus, that's the kind of stuff that happens. People find it. They find community. Right? And then lastly, I want to share a story from this church history. Pliny the Younger. This guy uh, lived late 1st century, early in the 2nd century, but 111 AD, Pliny the Younger is cool because he gives us a view into Roman culture in this time. He wrote a ton of letters back and forth with Emperor Trajan. And so one of the things we learn about this is not just culture, but what was Christianity like in these early years after the apostles, right? Because now you're into the patristic era of church history. So now we're 100 A.D. to like 700-ish A.D. And so what was it like in those, those people that were taught by the apostles? That's an interesting transition in history. So he's writing. Trajan wants to wipe Christians out. He doesn't trust them. They're suspicious, you know, of, of Christians. And so he says, I want you to find them and kill them. Pliny writes back. He's like, well, why? Because they're just meeting once a week, and they sing songs. They talk about this guy, Jesus, that they think has been raised from the dead, and they encourage one another. They collect alms for the poor, and they encourage each other not to do bad things. So why exactly should I kill them? And Trajan's like, just do it. And he's like, you know, you're the emperor. You can do that kind of stuff. And so he's writing back and forth, and he's like, all right, so I'll go and get a couple of these deaconesses, and I'll pull them in, and we'll find out what they really believe. They were identified because of their love. Christians weren't identified because of their politics or because they were jerks or because they were hypocritical. They could identify a Christian easily because they were so much different in their radical love and sacrificial love for their community. So he finds them, pulls them in, and he's like, all right, I've been interviewing them, I've been interrogating them, now I'm torturing them, and uh, this is what I'm finding out. But they were identified because of their service for other people, these two deaconesses. They were so radically different that he could easily identify them, pull them in, and find out what they believed, even though pretty much he knew. But in the early, earliest church, you're seeing these deaconesses, these deacons, again, really living out that service role. And that, these are the kind of things in history that change history. So I want to close with this really briefly. This is a book, one of many, that our leadership team has been reading and thinking through when we're doing this Constitution rework stuff and looking at this. And in the end of this book, this guy gives this conclusion that I love. 
And I don't know about you, but I write lots of notes when I read books and I highlight stuff. And I wasn't really paying attention, but it was so good that as I went, I, I literally highlighted every line of the whole entire thing of his conclusion. And I was like, oh, man, I really like that. So I just put so good at the top. Right? So let me read it to you because I think this really encapsulates well. So it's entitled Deacons Were Here, but I, I think I put up there Fingers of Faithful Deacons. And I really want you to think about how powerful this role is. Faithful deacons should be able to see their fingerprints on every sermon that's preached. A thought for deacons. Our pastor would not be able to do that, or not nearly so effectively, if I were not doing this. Faithful deacons should see their fingerprints in the unity of their congregation for which Jesus prayed in John 17. Thought for deacons. Today, there are brothers and sisters in this church living together in love and harmony who otherwise would not be. Indeed, faithful deacons should see their fingerprints in the welfare of all the flock and in the church's worldwide witness. Thoughts for deacons. Because I saw that need and rose to meet it, the elders, they were free to focus on shepherding eternal souls. Because I recruited those volunteers, our pastor did not have to spend his Saturday doing it. Because I deferred to the elders' collective wisdom on that complex issue, a younger deacon learned the value of humble respect. Because I loved that senior saint and her distress, she was lifted from her despair and made more eager to see Christ's face. And because I quelled that conflict, the gospel was able to go forth with power. He says, I don't know why you picked this book up, but I do know this. Deacons were God's idea. He loves deacons, and he wants us to also. But in order to rightly love the office, we must understand the Bible's glorious vision for it. No, we shouldn't elevate deacons to an executive board of pseudo-elders. It's an office of service, not oversight. But let us not reduce the role to savvy businessmen or skilled handymen either. Deacons are so much more. They are an influential cavalry of servants called by the king and deputized by his church to target and meet tangible needs, to protect and promote the unity of the church, to enhance the ministry of the elders, and in doing so, accelerate the mission of the church. Deacons do physical work with spiritual effect, an invisible work with a palpable effect. I like this closing so much right here that I literally put it in our proposed constitution. Their calling is noble, their service is needed, and their reward is near. In First Timothy 3. Deacons, deacons, such a powerful role for what God intended. So over the next few weeks, as we go through this stuff, I, again, I hope that you understand the importance of small and like sheep is like got to be at the top of our minds and knowing that servants and leaders and everybody, we're all in this together. We should all think like sheep together. We should be serving and have that mindset. We should be forgiving and patient because God's going to do great things to Quaybar Church. I 100% believe, and I'm already seeing it, He's going to do great things to this church. And as long as we keep doing this stuff, as long as we keep following this model of servant leadership and influence, man, there's no telling what God might do to us, for you. Amen? All right, let me close down in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Your word is powerful. Your witness in history is so powerful, Lord. Help us to be what you have called us to be. Help us to discard ideas about church that maybe we've had, about leadership, about institutions, all that stuff, Lord, about being just so hyper-focused on ourselves. Help us to discard all that and be radically different like you've called us to be, Lord. Because it's not easy. It's not hard. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us do that, Jesus. We put our trust in you and ask you to do the things that only you can do, Jesus. That's, that's your work, Lord. That's where you uh, are. And, and I just pray that we be faithful to it, to our part. And I pray that in your name, Jesus. And this church said?
Amen. All right. That's all we got this week. Love you guys. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.